And welcome to the Premier League Nightclub Podcast. My name is Damon, and with me, I of course have Woody. But Woody, you're not going to be the only Nick in the studio tonight. Mm, I'm not, Damo. This is the Nick Montgomery special, the Sheffield United Blades man. 350 appearances, Central Coast Mariners under 23s coach. We're getting him on, Damo, and I'm wearing my 2002 2003 Sheffield. United jersey, which I've just picked up on eBay for an absolute steal and a half. Um, <laughs> it took a while to come, to be honest. Yeah, it, took, it did take a while, didn't it? I swear, I bought it a few, I yeah. bought it like months ago. It must be the yeah. COVID shutdown, border lockdown sort of areas that's going yeah. on with Australia Post. You never know what really is the go with them. Yeah, you never know what's uh, going on at the best of times with them. But Woody, until then, until we get stuck into Nick Montgomery, which I'm very keen for, we do owe the listeners an apology. We did not record a podcast last week. We gave them late notice. How dare we? Mate, I know. And uh, I think it was pretty contentious between us. And I know, Damien, you're going to get into it. But we had to put up nah. a story because we actually did feel very bad. We had a lot of people messaging us saying, where's the pod this week? And we put up our story a little bit late saying, hey, guys, look, so we've got some... The gears are turning. The gears are turning at the Premier League nightclub. And we're trying to... We're trying to Maybe do a bit of a restructure demo. Yeah, we are. and uh, I think it's, now's a good time to get stuck straight into it because Woody, obviously, Victoria has gone straight back into lockdown due to some COVID-19 spikes in our area for those who aren't aware <coughs> and overseas listeners. So again, we're not together recording the pod. And to be fair, we haven't been for a while. Uh, and that sort of made everything difficult, including the podcast. And it's probably, uh, I think you called it a labor of love months if not a year ago would drop and and it's starting to that's become more of a labor than a love mm. so we sort of had to uh, reassess and and i know what you had some things on last week and at the end of the day we always agreed that from day one we would only do a podcast if we wanted to we would never do it because we felt obliged to do it yep. and that sort of stuff so yeah we we put on the back burner for one week and, and it gave us some time to think and it's looking more than likely that there will be a restructure of the Premier League nightclub come season two when the new Premier League season starts, which apparently looks likely to be September, but no one really knows yet. Um, look, Woodrow, it's safe to say the games are coming every single day. We can't keep up. We might be being a little bit dramatic, but people have, people are not done. They would have noticed that we've only analysed two games since the restart. It's probably a mixture of things. One relevance doesn't stay relevant just for long mm. by the time people are listening to this because the team's talking about have played another game uh it's you know also the fact that the season other than maybe the top four race is which i know we're going to get stuck into in a second is not fantastic yep uh in terms of like not a lot to play for i should say relegation battle is looking probably decided now a lot earlier than some would have thought uh, but Woody, i've just absolutely rambled on here but do you have anything else to add? No, I think I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head, uh, Dan Rooney. And I think, to be honest with you, it's a long season as it is. And I think with the extra yeah. weeks added on, it's just, it has dragged this season. I think any fan is just like, all right, Liverpool's won, Norwich are relegated, fill the rest and let's get on to the next season. You know what I mean? Let's have a break. Yeah. And I think that's sort of the point that we're at as well in that, in that you know, it, it come... Come Christmas and New Year's time, we were popping out three podcasts a week for the fam, for the boys, and and, and for the listeners. <laughs> you know, it was a bit different because everyone was hanging off the edge of their seats, waiting for the season. What was going to happen? So much was going on at the time. So many teams were making runs. So many teams were making, you know, um, droughts. Managers were being sacked. Manage, exactly, managers being sacked. Um, transfer window was opening. Rumors are flying nonstop. And then I think for us to do that now. With the with probably more games crammed in than what Christmas and New Year is happening, um, then we would have to produce you know essentially three pods a week just to keep up with it all, or maybe even two pods a week, and that's just not something that really is is driving us at the moment. So, like you said, Dan, we're taking a bit of a step back, um, reassessing, um, putting in some putting in some plans for season two, making it bigger and better than whatever, and potentially a little bit of a restructure, but. 
um, not only for the benefit for us, but the benefit for the viewers as well. Damo, we've done a fair bit of shit talking in the last couple of minutes, and I'm pretty sick of it. Let's get stuck into what we actually <laughs> want to talk about, because that took a little bit longer than what we expected to. And there's been a big week, big, big week, and obviously so many games, so many different results contributing to both a top four and relegation. Last time we chatted, Norwich hadn't been relegated yet. They have since been relegated, confirmed, which is a pretty sad story. Some people say they might have been the worst team in the Premier League history to ever get promoted, and shit, sort of looks like it, doesn't it? Scraping just so, not even going to get 25 points for the season. I think at the end of the day it's probably their defense just let them down. And that was what we spoke about before in our very first podcast, I reckon, was how Norwich were going to struggle defensively. And I'm pretty sure when we did do our predictions, when Sam used to rock up to the podcast, we <laughs> all had Norwich down. Uh, the piggy, the piggy party was, was very early on, but it sort of came to a real halt. And since then we haven't really mm-hmm. heard much from the Canaries. So yeah, they're cooked. They're done. They'll be into the championship next season. Uh, the top four race would drop. Mm, kicking off. I want to get stuck into this because it's it's taken a turn for for the better for one team, but for the worse for about four or five teams. <laughs> and that is uh, the decision that Manchester City's ban ha- ban has been overturned. And look, Woody, we're not Woody, we're not going to talk political. It's uh, <laughs> it's not really our thing on the pod. But I think without <laughs> without needing to say too much, it, uh, it was a strange. Strange decision. Mate, you're loving your Friends, politics recently, know, I reckon. You're turning into a bit of the fuzz. You're more politics than football, I reckon, these days, Damo. Mate, the problem is, though, like, don't get me wrong, love love a little bit of pol- political discussion when it's appropriate, but I I get I read too many Twitter opinions, yep. and, like, that's it's not a, healthy it's for a t- anybody. It's a toxic stream. Like, as soon as you get onto the Twitter stream, it's just like... Oh, mate, mate you, your you blood just, boils. You're just tainted. Like, you, you, your views just become not even your own. They're just... Recycle pieces of <laughs> shit that are just, you know, yeah. sitting in your head, festering these disgusting opinions. But nevertheless, I tell you what isn't a disgusting opinion. Fucking UEFA, fucking FIFA, and Damon. I'm sorry to swear, <laughs> Man City money talks yet again. Their their bans overturned. It's gone from extreme to extreme. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's it is bizarre, and what I found a little bit weird was the there was a very 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 insignificant fine that that was given eight to eight million pounds. I still, yeah, I'm still not really sure what it's for. Like, are they guilty or not? Like, if they're guilty, then t- how is it an eight million pound offence? I don't I understand. Tell you what made like, me wonder: every team that's in the Premier League this season have spent at least eight million pounds on a player coming into the season. Now, for me, that says something when Sheik Mansur, the guy that owns Man City, earns £115,000 a minute. If the fine is dished out at 10 a.m., it's paid back by 11.30 a.m. Now, it's an hour and a half of sitting on his ass, eating some pineapple or whatever. I don't understand. I don't know what he eats for breakfast, but <laughs> whatever he's eating. So he's just having a brunch and he's earning that fine back. And, and it hasn't even tickled his pockets. You know what I mean? It's uh, it's a yeah. bit outrageous for them to get a fine, but then also to be claimed guilty. The ambiguity is just swinging all over the place, and I think um, the bodies of football have done it yet again. Speaking of swinging all over the place, Woodrow, the top four race. Yes. It's getting real interesting, and as we mentioned earlier, probably the only interesting thing left of this Premier League season. Chelsea and Leicester cannot buy a win. It goes to Old Trafford, and Man United don't want to win. And then Spurs... And Arsenal don't know how to win. Sheffield United blew it post-lockdown, and now they've come good, but it might be a bit late. Wolves are sort of just mellowing in sixth, but I think they've left their run too late. Is everybody just going to stay the same and just call it a day? Like, I don't understand what's happening this top four race. Leicester versus Man United, closing day, when every single game is on at the same time, is probably going to be the biggest game of the season, really, because that could shift... That could shift one turn, team from fifth to third and push any one of the three teams into the into the Europa League spot rather than the Champions League spot. So I think the final day, Damo, is shaping up to be massive. And of course, Chelsea got Liverpool um, coming up as well. And I know you said this in our group chat as well, but you can just see Liverpool absolutely bending over for Chelsea, can't you? Oh, uh, you can. R- written yeah, in the stars. It wouldn't be the first time. Oh, it wouldn't be the first time a, a title-winning team has 
come up with some real strange performances and, and led to interesting results come the final few mm-hmm. weeks. Uh, so for Chelsea, I think that's one thing that they can sort of hold on to, the fact that Liverpool might, you know, not exactly be at their best. But on the same the same token to that, uh, you know, Liverpool need three wins from three to reach 101 points, I think it is, which would... Uh, Big record. I think it's 101. Might be 102. I'm not sure. But uh, that would essentially make them the best Premier League t- team of all time in a single season, at least, points-wise. Points so points I think wise. they probably would want that. Yeah. Yeah, points... Yeah. Relax, Woody. It's it's points, points wise. wise. With that, points that's wise. absolutely it. Points wise. <laughs> Mate, I, I think I think what and goes on said is the fact that we took the week off the pod last week off the pod last week was just because the amount of shit that was coming out of Liverpool players uh, and Liverpool, <laughs> Liverpool fans' mouths, and I think that Garby interview scarred us for weeks to come. Weeks to come. <laughs> All right, Woody, it is probably time to get stuck into a, a big, big moment for the nightclub. Nightclub FC mm. is absolutely bouncing in a time where we go on about it for the last 10 minutes that we're struggling to find uh, purpose on, on on recording time. Mm. And this came around at the exact perfect time because the blades are flying. The A-League's back this weekend. And to celebrate... We're the be- we have best of both worlds. A, yeah, we, we do have the best of both worlds. And I'm just going to spit it out. We've got, we got a big man, Nick Montgomery. What a moment it's going to be, Woodrow. Do you want to give him a quick introduction and then we'll get him on Mate, the line? Mate, let's absolutely get into it because this man, Nick Montgomery, oh my days. I could not... I, I've talked up a lot of guests and I have to talk about this man probably more than what I've done for a lot of other players Right, and we have the likes of Matty Jarvis, we have the likes of Cam Devlin, but this man, Nick Montgomery, has probably had one of the strongest careers that we've had on the Premier League nightclub. This man has played 349 appearances for Sheffield United, started at Leeds, then Sheffield, then moved to Central Coast Mariners. Sheffield United. Se- Sheffield, oh my God, <laughs> Sheffield United. You know, I do that too often as a Blades fan. It's, it's frustrating. It's frustrating. I'm still trying to learn, still trying to learn, but yes, 349 appearances for Sheffield United, not a single red card, which we'll touch into a little bit later. Then he's gone and moved (laughs) to Central Coast Mariners in one of the most pivotal uh, couple of years of A-League history, where the growth is just absolutely off the charts, played 116 times for then, he's clocked 500 career appearances over the course of his career, he's currently a 23s coach at Central Coast Mariners, just got his UEFA Pro license. He, this guy is just, Damon, I can't even explain. He's he's played in three different tiers of football. He's experienced some of the highs, some of the lows. Been played with the most expensive defender in the world in Harry Maguire. He's played <laughs> with Kyle Walker, who, got, who was the most expensive fullback in the world at one point. He has played with some absolute weapons, and he is a weapon himself. It is Nick Montgomery coming onto the show. Let's get him on the line right Let's now. All righty, Damo. So we are lucky enough to have Nick Montgomery come onto the Premier League nightclub podcast, the ex-Sheffield man, and of course, Central Coast Mariners man as well. Nick, how are you going? It's such a pleasure for us to have you on, and, and how's it, how's life going at the moment? Oh, it's my pleasure, guys. It really is. Uh, like it, you know, I've done quite a lot of these Zoom calls the last couple of months. I've enjoyed them, to be honest. It's uh, It's been a good time to... To sort of reminisce on my career and, and and obviously into the coaching stuff now. So like, to be honest, after having a 20 play, 20 year playing career, it's been nice to to sort of switch off from it for a while. You know, you're always thinking about the game that's just been or the next game. So it's always you know it's always hard to switch off. And my wife was always telling me that I need to concentrate more on the kids and spend more time with them. So look, at it, for me, taking the positives out of what's been a horrific situation worldwide. I've really enjoyed spending time with my twin daughters who are nine and I've got a one-year-old who I've sort of seen grow for four months and sort of day-to-day, which is which is something that doesn't really happen with the other kids, yeah. So that, that, mm. that's a real positive from it. But football sense, I've missed being on the pitch coaching. I've sort of missed um, you know, watching the A-League, the Premier League, or, you know, all of the football around the world. So, yeah, it's sort of nice that it's gone back to a little bit of normality, but I think you guys would agree, you know, watching watching Premier League games, which is the highest level in the world, with no fans in the stadium, it's just it's just not the same. But 
it is the norm for now. So it's, um, you know, we're all adjusting to this new life at the minute. Yeah, for sure. And it's sort of like the best we've got. So you've got to, got to take it and got to embrace it. But also just a quick apology. In the uh, little intro there, Woody did say Sheffield without United at the end of it. And I, yeah, I have been caught yeah, up I'm sorry. I'm multiple sorry. times on that from people who are very passionate about the fact you have to say Sheffield United. So. <laughs> yeah, all the blades, all the blades. And actually, yeah. <laughs> Nick, sorry to cut you off, Damon. I'm actually wearing – I just got a, uh, a, a blades jersey in the mail the other day. Um, it's a 2002 kit, so I'm very, very keen to be wearing it. Um, first time <laughs> I've actually ever put it on. I bought it just for this interview, so – um, no, I I, 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 sh- I screwed up. I shouldn't have as a Blades fan. I, I definitely <laughs> mucked up. <there. laughs> oh, look, you've um, you bought a shirt, so I think that any Blades fans listening will let you off. Yeah, we'll give you a pass on that one. <laughs> uh, we're going to get stuck into uh, your career, obviously the Premier League, uh, and then a little bit into our very own league down here in Australia, the A-League. But I did just want to you know, keep it to a bit of isolation, lockdown sort of chat. Have you enjoyed having the Premier League back? Have you been watching the Blades? Uh, or have you still had a lot to work to do with the Central Coast Mariners? Oh, look, I've been uh, sort of coaching the under-23 boys here, even during the lockdown. Uh, to be honest, I, I sort of use Zoom in terms of getting some Premier League players on, some Premier League coaches, mm-hmm. uh, some sports psychologists, just, just through people that I know that... that you know, that gave up their time to come and speak to the players. So I think it was important from a sort of a well-being and, and, and mental health side of it that, you know, I wanted to, to, to keep speaking to the players because, I, you know, I've worked with them for a good 12 months and, and they've come a long, long way. So I thought it was important to, to keep on top of them and keep pushing them and, and be a support for them. Um, so, yeah, look, in, in, terms of, in terms of that, I've been busy. Um, but to be honest, you know, the Premier League, I think, yeah, just just watching the games, you know. My my team, Chef, you sort of came back. They sort of lost a little bit of that momentum, uh, but then mm-hmm. I think you've seen the last couple of games have really picked it up. You know, beating beating Wolves, Chelsea, you know, some massive massive results, and 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 making it really interesting coming towards the end of the season. Up until today, when we found out Man City uh, would not lose the Champions League spot, so I think that's mm-hmm. made it uh, a little bit more difficult for them to. <clears throat> to push for that um, you know, Champions League spot but they won't give up Chris Wilder is a good friend of mine he's a, he's a top coach he's done an amazing job there so I think they'll just use that to, to, to keep going and try and finish as high as they can mm, for sure and I don't, I don't want to sound too political here but fair to say <laughs> money does a lot of the talking when it comes to FIFA's results and outcomes um, but if you're looking more specifically at the Blades, obviously you just said that you, you have been following them. And, and since the break, they've sort of had a bit of a rocky restart, I guess you can say. But I think that fair to say they buried Chelsea pretty comfortably. Um, what do you make of the Blades season? Because it's something that we haven't really seen. I think it's probably the biggest fairy tale we might have seen since Leicester. So what have you made of the season? And, and, and have, you, have you had much contact with many of the boys um, going, you know, playing at, the, playing at the moment for the Blades? I know you have... Close ties to Phil Jagielka as well, but yeah. So how have you sort of rode rode the season? Yeah, look, like you said, you know, a lot of the players, you know, Chris Wilder took over. They're in League One. Uh, some big coaches went in there, failed to get promotion, and and to be honest, he went in there. I remember speaking to him when he first got the job, and you know, he, he knew he knew that he had to get the the fans back on side and and, and turn the club culture back around to to being a, a real people's club. Um, so you know, Sheffield's a working class place. You've got two massive clubs there, massively supported in Sheffield United and Sheffield Wednesday. So, um, look, Chris, you know, played for the, he played for the Blades when I joined at 16. He was in the first team um, and that's when sort of I, you know, began the relationship with him in terms of, of friends um, and, and sort of he followed me throughout my career and, and I'm following him now in his coaching. Mm. So, Look, it's to go from League One to the Championship, which is for me the hardest league in the world, and then get promoted from that. Keep the good core of the players. I think they spent forty odd million pound in the, in the summer, but you know, compared to Aston Villa, who spent close to two hundred million, I think he's done an unbelievable job. And and just the way they play, <clears throat> to be honest, it does remind me a lot of, of the good times I had there. And in, in terms of under Neil Warnock, where you know nobody came to Bramall Lane and, and had an easy game. You know, we beat Arsenal, Tottenham. You know, we beat all the big teams there mm-hmm. in that season in the Premier League. And, and to be honest, mm-hmm. it's they've had some unbelievable results at home. 
Um, and yeah, look, speaking to Billy Sharp, who's a captain and a really good friend of mine. Um, obviously Phil Jagelk, I know a few of the other boys as well. You know, they just they've just taken to the Premier League as as it's their opportunity. They, they they've deserved to be there, and and I think results. I think nobody likes playing them. You know, away from home, at home, the system that that, that they've developed is they defend like a team, and and when they attack, they attack in wide areas. They deliver balls into the box. And you can see mm-hmm. that the playing style that Chris has uh, has put into them there. That you know they have got the players that suit that playing style. And and to be honest, it's uh, you know Chelsea. I think it was Chelsea had 70% possession on the weekend and lost three 0 I think that was them counter attacks, you know, taking them opportunities. And and, and again, it's just been you know, it's brilliant to watch. And, and for me, I'm you know I'm delighted that they're, that they're doing really well this season. Yeah, cool. I mean, it's they've been absolutely flying all year. And and one of the things is about I would say you know 20 match weeks in a lot of people expected a drop off to occur and, and it just hasn't come and you know we've this is, I'm going to mention this for the third time in the last five minutes but yeah there was a little bit of a drop off uh, you know post lockdown but you know you switch back on three massive wins and of course Europa League is genuinely a, more than a possibility now you're, you'd almost say based on form you're one of the favourites to secure uh, those that spot. But I do want to take you back to one comment you made in 2016. I've done a bit of research. And you you said uh, about the Blades that they're back on track and that you, you have great high hopes for them. And, and since then, they've been promoted twice. And, of course, now where they're at. Did you expect it to be this much of a jump? And what made you say back then that they were back on track? Oh, look, that goes back to, obviously, knowing Chrissy Wilder and and, you know, when he went into the club, like I said, I had a conversation with him. You know, I'd been there for 14 years. I played 400 games and I sort of, you know, my comment to him was sort of, look, you know what, you, you're a chef, you finally know the club inside and out. Now you sort of need to, to bring it all together. And like I said, he knew that when he went in. And I think he's, like I said, pretty pretty much straight away, he started bringing in players that he felt, you know, suited the club. Um, and like you said, the, the hard-working, the honest and I think the way they play is, you know, like I said, nobody enjoys playing against them because they don't stop running. You know, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're desperate, you know, they're desperate to, to stop teams scoring in, in, you know, in their box. And like I said, opposition, opposition boxes, you've got Billy Sharp, uh, who's just an out-and-out goal scorer. Um, and, and again, you know, they brought in some, some good players. But, you know, for me, you know, I knew that once I got that momentum, the fans are absolutely brilliant there. And once you get a full house at, at Bramall Lane, it's absolutely rocking, but you know they've had to deal with that the same <clears> as <throat> your teams like Bournemouth and and, and 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 Brighton teams like that, where they really do need the fans. So it's it's been that, it's been interesting to see which teams have coped better. And I think, like you said, I think Sheffield, you know, beating Wolves and and, and Chelsea the last couple of weeks have shown that you know even without the fans there, they're, they're, they're more than good enough. And like you said before, everybody's been waiting to see if the bubble bursts, but I think they've just carried on about the business not really caring what anyone else is saying and no doubt there was a lot of commentators and people that said they will go down you know a lot of people said they were the first team that goes down so you know I think there's a lot of people eating the words right now and <laughs> teams like Villa who spent all that money massive clubs are you know really uh, really scrambling to, to, to keep the Premier League status Mm. Oh, could not agree with you more and it's something that I think we've talked about extensively over the course of the season is the amount of money that has been spent in the Premier League um, over the the previous offseason and the lack of reward that's come from it. But then you look at the likes of the Blades and and what they've been able to do with the list of have and and bringing in, you know, not the most expensive players, but the players that fit the system, really. It's the likes of Ollie McBurney um, as well. So, you know, look at that and obviously Sander Burge coming in. But I think to shift the focus a little bit onto your career yourself, we'll get stuck into that because it's something that we really want to hear, have a chat to you about. You spent your early youth years at Leeds and I guess, how is the contrast uh, from the Leeds youth academy system to winding up at Sheffield United? To be honest, it's, um, you know, the story goes, I was at Leeds from when I was 10 to when I was 15 Loved playing football, played for Leeds City Boys, which is all the, the best schools in Leeds, and, and that was really enjoyable. But yeah, I signed for Leeds United on schoolboy forms, and, mm-hmm. and when I got to 15, you know, it's that, that time when you're looking at leaving school and, and going on the journey of being a footballer, which is all I ever wanted to do. Um, but unfortunately, I had glandular fever, so I was sort of missing training and missing games. And to be honest, that was around the time when Leeds were really flying in the Champions League, um, you know. 
the club was doing really, really well. Um, and not been a big club. They were bringing players in on trial every week from Scotland, from Ireland. Um, and to be honest, it, you know, I found myself not playing games on the weekend, along along as you know, quite a few other local boys that trained there every every week and had been there for years. So you know, I took it upon myself to to, to ask for a release. Um, and then yeah, I ended up um, playing a trial game for Sheffield United. And after one game, the, the, the coach at the time, Russell Slade, who went on to coach Charlton, Yeovil, um, some 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 good teams. He offered me a two-year scholarship, so you know, I, to be honest, I took it straight away, and, and that was me on my journey to, to becoming a footballer and, and leaving school. Moved to Sheffield into digs with ten players, uh, which is mm-hmm. which was fun, <laughs> and yeah, just, just started out on that journey there. So that's how I ended up at, at Sheffield uh, initially, um, and then yeah, by the time I was eighteen, I'd I had a broken ankle, I'd, I'd had meningitis, and spent two three weeks in hospital. And Neil Warnock came in, yeah, Neil Warnock came in. Didn't really care. Just wanted people that wanted to win and, and people that that had the right characteristics to 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 make the club successful and help get the club promoted to the Premier League, which was his was his ambition. And you know, I, I hit the ground running when he came in. Scored a hat trick in the reserves at Stockport, and and then the following following weekend, I was coming on against Norwich away from home at Carrow Road for my debut. Well, and what was that experience like coming on from? You know, by the sounds of it, it's a massive decision to request a release from Leeds when you weren't getting the game time you were looking for. Uh, what was that moment like coming on at Carrow Road? Uh, it was just, like you said, it, you know, it was always my ambition. Um, you know, I used to remember watching football when I was a kid, thinking I want to be a professional footballer. And to be honest, my journey, um, you know, my mum, my, my parents supported me, especially my mum, who sadly passed away last year. She was a big support for me and said, "Look, you know, if that's what you feel, you know, follow what follow what your your gut instinct tells you." And, and that mm. was that. You know, I had to move on and go and find a better opportunity to, to 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 become a footballer. And Leeds didn't say that I wouldn't get a scholarship, but they also didn't guarantee I would. So, like I said, yeah. for me at the time, it was a gamble, but it was a gamble I was willing to take. And, <clears> and you know, taking that that scholarship and going through what I did. Um, you know, I remember being on the bench and. Neil Warnock saying get get your get your kit off you coming on and it was you know to be honest I didn't have time to think and after what I'd been through it was you know this is my opportunity and you know any young lads out there sometimes you get one opportunity sometimes you're lucky if you get two but you got to grab it with both hands and I think I came on that that day for 30 minutes um, I just always remember that uh, I think we were winning two nil and then Norwich went three two up and, and and obviously Warnock wasn't afraid to make a sub I think he dragged a couple off threw me on and. To be honest, we should have got back in the game. Um, played really well, and he roasted the boys after the game and sort of picked me out as an 18-year-old. Said you should, you know, you lot should be embarrassed. Look at the effort he put in in, in 30 minutes was more than something he did in in the whole game. And you know, from that sort of moment on, that was me sort of embedded in in the first team for the next uh, 12 years. Mm, there you go. That's uh, it's, it's honestly it's it's so interesting to see how people's careers pan out. But I guess you know, as a young young lad. Did you ever think that you'd play top flight top flight football, or did you ever like? C- can you just imagine how far you would have gone in your career? Look, I think it's one of them. You know, I was no, I was never, you know, I was never stupid enough to think I was the best player in the world. You know, technically I wasn't the best player in the world, but I knew that I had a big heart, and I knew that you know I could run for ninety minutes, which is something I could always do. Um, and you know, I knew what my strengths were, and that was you know winning the ball giving it to the better players, you know, being a box-to-box midfielder, all action, um, you know, heart on sleeve. And I think as a coach now, you know, I've, you know, I see players like that and I've, I'd have them in my team any day because, you know, it is a team game. You have your individuals that can produce moments of magic to win a game. But I think if you have, you know, 11 hard, uh, 10 outfield, hard-working, honest players, I think you can win any game of football and that's at any level. Um, and, and for me, it was a case of, you know, knowing that I wasn't the best player in the world, but knowing mm-hmm. what I was good at and and and, mm-hmm. and sort of using that and like I said, I think a lot of like I said, there was a lot of better players than me in the, in the academy and the youth team at other teams, but you know having the mentality and, and the ma- mindset that you know when you get on the the pitch and there's thirty forty thousand fans screaming, then firstly you got to be able to handle that, and secondly you know your, your character. You know, your character is is really what makes you. Um, because if you can't handle that pressure, 
um, and you're not willing to dedicate yourself and, and make all the sacrifices that is needed to to be a you know top any top level professional sportsman or woman, then mm-hmm. um, like you say, you find it very hard. Which is why there's a lot of people out there that sit in the stands every week saying they should have been playing out there or they're better <laughs> they played on the field because you know that, that does happen. So it sounds like us actually. That's why I started a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right, cool. Um, you did su- you did mention Neil Warnock pointing you out, saying, "Look at this guy." Showed most of the team up in his first thirty minutes of of career football. Uh, look, I know Woody especially was pretty keen to you know hear more about Chris Chris Wilder, but I must say, I reckon Neil Warnock seems like just the most unusual bloke going around. And I must say, I've never I've never been more disappointed than I was last season when Cardiff got relegated because I wanted him to stick around so, so badly. So my question is, what's he like? What's he like to play under? And as a person, what's he like? Uh, look, he's, you know, I've said this many on many of these podcasts for me. He's, he's a bit of a crazy genius. You know, he's a, he's a good guy, very, very smart, you know, very honest. And he's always honest to the, the playing group, you know. And like I said, he just creates, he creates a winning culture. He's, he's, he's desperate to win. And that's infectious. Um, and again, people always see the stuff on YouTube, and I get it sent to me <laughs> probably twice. Yeah. Different clips of me or on 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 a YouTube clip or him just going off his head. But you know, that was him. He was passionate. But that's all obviously you see on YouTube. But every day, you know, he was always in and around the players and having a, a laugh and a joke. And you know, he wasn't a manager that was there every day. But you know, we turn up, and when he turned up, you know, obviously people would, you know, the level of everything would step up um, because. Like I said, when it came to game time, he was, you know, he knew how to win a game of football and put a team out there to win games. And his record speaks for itself. I mean, Cardiff, QPR, Sheffield. There's not, there's probably no managers that have had as many teams promoted to the Premier League. Well, he's I think really spent. I think he's just, he's actually just agreed to take over his 16th different club as manager. I think that's that's <laughs> what it's at at the moment. So he's a well, journeyman. You at, he's a journeyman. Oh, look, you look at what he did at Rotherham before I went to Cardiff. They were virtually relegated. He went in there mm. and kept them up. And again, Middlesbrough, obviously, you know, massive club. Obviously, you know, they've just sacked Jonathan Woodgate and, and the owner wanted to bring Neil in just to steady the ship. And I think if anyone's followed Middlesbrough the last couple of weeks, they've beat Stoke. They've, they've won a couple of games already. And, and again, you know, financially wise for a club like Middlesbrough getting relegated to to League One would be catastrophic and like you say the chairman knows that Neil will get results he's brought him in and that's exactly what he's delivering so like I said he's so much experience but you know really top guy I'll speak to him you know, every now and then I can always pick the phone up to him and like I said he was just uh, yeah, he's a real character and, and, and yeah I think like I said as players doesn't matter who you are you might, you might not like him but if you play for him I guarantee that, that you love him and that's what every player says Mm, for sure. And I think it was in, in Neil's last season, uh, I think it was the 2007 season, um, where you guys got relegated, but you just won two of your final 11 games for the season. And and I wanted to bring this up because this saw the end of you know Neil's career or managerial career at the Blades. And you guys lost a Wigan on the final day 2-1, which meant that you went from 17th, uh, which meant that, sorry, they were 17th and you guys dropped to 18th. On the same points, but the goal dif- you guys were behind on goal difference. How, as a player and as a club, do you deal with that sort of relegation for such slim margins? And I guess because the repercussions really flow through not only the club but also the fans and the financials and 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 I guess the whole the whole Blades community as well. How do you sort of deal with that? Because um, that was obviously quite quite a challenging season for you guys. Oh, look, if anyone followed that season, you know you, you know what happened in terms of the illegal Carlos Tevez and, and, and Mascherano affair with West Ham. And to be mm-hmm. honest with me, it's the biggest injustice in world football and you know, it will never mm-hmm. happen again. Um, but mm-hmm. look, we were flying that season, obviously. You know, we were, you know, we beat Arsenal at home, we beat Tottenham at home, we beat Newcastle away, we beat West Ham 3-0 at home towards the end of that season. And, and really, we were in a comfortable position, but um, Rob Hulse, who was our main striker, broke his leg at Chelsea. An attacker yeah. with Peter Check, and you know, I remember being on the pitch in that game, and Hulse broke his leg, and you just think oh, that's our main striker. He'd already, he'd already got ten goals that season in the Premier League, which is mm. uh, amazing. Um, and look, 
you know, we never replaced him. Um, so to lose your top striker in the Premier League where chances are few and far between. And and again, you look at the end of it where he went down by one goal and, you know, the, the facts of the matter are that, um, you know, West Ham should should not have been able to stay in the Premier League. They should have been docked 10 points because, you know, they, they played two players that were illegally owned by a third party, which was totally illegal in the Premier League. So, Mm. You know, I think I think uh, Tevez virtually scored every every goal and, and got every point for West Ham in the last ten games, including the last day of the season where it didn't matter what score we had if if Man United would have been beaten West Ham at Old Trafford, which let's be honest is it, it would have happened. Mm. Um, but Man United yeah. won the league the week before, and I think the boys all went out partying and you know somehow Tevez scored the winner and and, and got them three points at Old Trafford, which meant uh, we went down by one goal goal difference. So. You know, mm. For me, it was I was heartbreaking because you know I worked all my life to get into the Premier League and had a really good season. Then that happens, um, you know. But the fact of the matter is, the owner Kevin McCabe at the time sued the Premier League. He won his case. I think he won thirty, forty million um, for the football club. But as players, you know, we we were the ones that missed out the most because obviously contract-wise, you, you know, you're losing a lot of money financially. Um, and when we got relegated back to the championship, um, you know, we lost some really good players. And yeah, it was, to be honest, you know, we had the likes of Harry Maguire, Carl Walker, Kyle Norton, Matty Loughton. You know, we had seven or eight young players that have been playing in the Premier League mm. the last, you know, six, seven years. So if we'd have stayed up that year, I think the club would have really built. And again, for Neil, uh, you know, it was it was a, a real tough one to take and then the following season um, like you say his relationship with the club soured and he got sacked and, and moved on um, so yeah it was you know it was disappointing as a player like I said it's uh, it's devastating when, when that happens and um, yeah for me for me and the rest of the boys it was yeah it was a real tough tough summer Jay, well, I'll try and lighten up the mood because uh, <laughs> will, thanks for coming on the pod by the way but so sorry for uh, bringing that up but it is like oh you almost have to mention it it's probably you know the story of the premier league history to be honest at least from a, yeah. a relegation perspective uh but yeah more positive note uh you had some incredible games of football during your sheffield united career as you mentioned earlier you played against the biggest clubs unfortunately lost a few cup semi-finals and such but overall what was your favorite moment as a sheffield united player Oh, I think really, you know, promotion of the Premier League. I think Danny Webber scored the goal at Cardiff uh, that season, which anyone knew Cardiff, the old stadium, was a horrible place to go. And we'd, been, we'd you know, we'd been fine, we'd been top of the league, we had a little stutter, and then Danny Webber scored away at Cardiff. And I think we just needed the next game. It was Reading and Leeds were playing. We needed a result. We needed Leeds not to win. And, and I think Reading beat them all drew it. Ellen Road and yeah that was it that that was us um, promoted um, to the to the Premier League so yeah it was uh, that was a good night and plenty of champagne and a big pie <laughs> but um, to be honest that that was the, the highlight of sort of my career but you mentioned there the semi-finals uh, FA Cup League Cup semi-finals against Arsenal Liverpool you know we took them toe to toe and, and just missed out in the end one uh, 0 to Arsenal and, and, and we lost the second leg after beating Liverpool. At Bramall Lane in the first leg, so like I said, so close, uh, so close to getting to a final. But when you're talking, you know, the Invincibles at the time of, you know, you look at the Arsenal team and, you know, you got your Burkamps, Thierry Henrys, Fabregas's, so to, to sort of just miss out to them in the semi-final, and then obviously Liverpool, you know, your, your Michael Owens, you know, your some of the biggest Premier League players, your <clears throat> Gerrards, and I say it was just amazing, amazing, amazing memories and, and experiences playing it, playing at that level, especially in games of that magnitude. Mm. Feel free to brush me off here, but I have, I have to ask, have you got any funny stories from the night that you guys knew you were getting uh, promoted? You got any 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 nights out stories that, that maybe you can't say to the kids at all? Or? <laughs> yeah, probably too many to go on. <laughs> nah, the boys, we had a really good group of boys and we all got together at the training ground and like you said, it was... When when that result happened, it was yeah, it was just all the people from the club, you know, from the the, the the kitchen staff to the canteen staff and groundsmen. It was just yeah, it was just amazing to 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 celebrate, you know, promotion at the Premier League, which is like I say, is the pinnacle of world football. So yeah, plenty of stories, but too many that I can't share on this podcast, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> nah, to be honest, we advertise ourselves as a family podcast, but we we blur the lines. Are probably a little bit 
too much, I think, for to have some of those stories come on the podcast. But if we were to have a look at, um, I guess, into the next step of your career, and that was making picking everything up and moving over to Australia, playing for the Central Coast Mariners. I guess you came over in a time, 2012, in a time where the A-League was going through a pretty pivotal moment of growth, and that they were bringing in a lot of players from overseas. And it ha- leads me to ask, you know, what made you come to Australia? And I guess what was the process of just picking up and leaving and moving halfway across the world? Yeah, look, I mean, like you said, I could I'll cut a long story short, but the A-League was, you know, doing really well at the time. Um there was a link between Sheffield United and the Mariners. So when I was at Sheffield United, the likes of Trent Sainsbury came over and trained with us. Uh, the owner, mm-hmm. Kevin McCabe, was friendly with the previous owner of the Mariners, a guy called Peter Turnbull. So look, we'd always had we'd always had that connection. And to be honest, that you know, uh, I had twin girls that were born premature. I was I was past my thirty, you know, thirtieth birthday, and I always wanted to play abroad. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, look, it was. It sort of happened pretty quickly. Um, you know, it got mentioned. Then Graham Arnold called me. Laurie McKinnon actually was really pivotal, pivotal in me coming over. They used to Skype me from Terrigal and show me the beach and stuff. Um, <laughs> so yeah, but look, when I spoke to Graham Arnold, he was, you know, he'd explained they just lost out in the grand final the year before, um, and you know, he was desperate to, to, you know, to put a squad together that that could go on and. And winning again, you know, your marquees back in them days, they were, you know, it's not like it is now where you've got teams spending a lot more. The, the, the spending mm. is pretty similar. And um, the big marquee that year was Del Piero, who again, you know, was, a, was massive for the A League in terms of exposure. But look, mm-hmm. I came over as a visa player. We had Patrick Swanswag, Milly Sajowski, obviously John Hutchinson, my midfield partner, a fantastic guy. Um, and look, I came over. It, it was, it was a, a, a quick decision, I thought. I could have stayed in England. I had the opportunity to go to the MLS. And I just thought I'd always wanted to go to Australia. My dad had been here as a kid. And like I say, we had the connection. And I thought, you know, why not? Let's go now. And uh, the club offered me a three-year contract. So it was sort of, you know, it was enough for me to, to pack the house up in England and, and come over here. And like I said, you know, I look back now. It was the best thing I ever did. I came over mm-hmm. here. We won the grand final. We had a brilliant team then in terms of young players. You know, Sainsbury, Marty Ryan, Tommy Rodjick. Yeah, Oli Bazanich. Um, you know, we had some really good young players, so it was a bit of a, a lucky year, really. And, and and again, them boys, plus all the experienced boys that we had, um, you know, we just got the right right group of people together. And yeah, it was you know coming over the first year and helping the Mariners to to win the grand final and, and become champions of Australia. Um, you know, made it feel like it was the the right move as well at the time. Um, and yeah, look, I enjoyed. Playing out here, obviously, you know, the, the, a new owner took over the club. The early took a big nosedive, really, in terms of um, you know exposure mm. and, and where it is now. And I think you know one thing. Don't I'm even able, get me started. Don't yeah, get me started. So, yeah, me too. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on at the minute, and even stuff you know that's just happened with with my NPL team that I'm not happy about. But I think you know everyone's got to get together in this country. It's a beautiful country. It's developed yeah. some good players a long time ago. It needs to get back to developing young players, you know, get them in the in the socceroos and and really grow as a league. But you know, there's just so many different opinions and so many federations and there's, you know, there's no centralised football, you know, body. Yeah. It's just like I said, it's just it's hard. I you know, I do mm. I do find it hard coming from England. Well, looking at, you know, hopefully some good stuff out of the A-League, What was there anything that surprised you uh, in a positive way when you arrived here in Australia in that first season in the A-League, other than the fact that you were in a pretty good team? Yeah, look, I'll be honest, you know, I, I didn't think the standard would be as good as it was. Um, I think mm-hmm. I came over when the league was really, you know, really good standard with good quality visa players, um, you know, some good young players. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I was surprised at the standard. I think it was, you know, good standard. And then, you're getting used to the travel and the hot weather, and I think that's why a lot of visa players have come over and struggled. Lost, you know, ever, in my time in the A League. Um, but yeah, look, the stadiums are brilliant. Um, you know, it's a lot more family atmosphere. I do find it hard that you know you lose a game of football and the fans clap you off, and you know the young boys don't really understand it. And that's one thing I try and teach them now. You know, they've all got the ambition to go uh, to Europe and abroad and and play, but um, you know, I have to sort of tell them that get used to it. if you're going to go you've got to be prepared because if you lose a game of football it's you know it's it's 
you're really going to annoy some fans, some fans, because you know I come from that background where they work all week to, to, to watch a game on the weekend. And if you lose, you know, they're absolutely fuming. If you win there, they're delighted. But so many sports here that, you know, it's you know, it's a real family atmosphere. And I think that really, you know, the no promotion, no relegation thing as well, you know, doesn't really help de- develop the mindset of young players because coping mm. with that stress and pressure that a, a professional career brings at the top level. Mm. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's a really interesting point that you touch on because... Um, you know, I, I've actually been a massive Melbourne Victory fan for the best part of 10 years, maybe maybe even more now. And and I I came to the decision to give away my membership because I wasn't happy with the way the club was going and the direction it was going in. And the same, the same followed with the A-League. I wasn't happy with the, the way the A-League was going. Um, but, I mean, it's probably another conversation for another time because if you, it's such a big topic and there's so many different level, levels to it. And it's it's much more of a systematic change than just a day in day out change. If you understand what I'm saying, it's, it's, it's much more deep rooted than just small little things that you can change straight away. It's more changing over the course of like 10, 15 years. But I think as a Melbourne victory fan, I think one of, um, one of the most bitter experiences I ever had was you guys beating us one nil in the semifinals back in 2000 2012, 2013 season. And, um, and I know for a fact that you got your first ever red card in that game. And I remember watching the game. I remember watching the game and it was just a coincidence that this sort of came up. And I was telling Damon off air, I was thinking to myself, I, I don't want to swear here, but how the hell did you cop that red card? Probably the two softest yellows I've ever seen given in a semifinal. I don't think I've ever come across a player that has been more hard done by to miss a championship game or grand final level game than yourself, Nick. Oh, honestly, it was it was devastating. You know, 400 games in England, being a, the, the sort of player that I was, I loved the tackle, you know. Always getting in skirmishes, you know, had a lot of yellow cards, but to get to get, to get two yellows in that game. And I remember, I think Mark Milligan just went to hook the ball up. I just literally stuck my foot up to block it. There was no malice in it. And when he put mm. the red card out, I just thought that is an absolute disgrace. Um, and yeah, look to play every game that season and just miss the grand final was <laughs> it was ridiculous, ridiculous. But to be honest, that you know I'm a big believer of everything happens for a reason. And so Oli Bazanic was you know really good lad, um, you know mm. Central Coast boy, not really played that much that season. Um, and look, he he came in to replace me, boy town boy boyhood club and and win the grand final. So you know I knew we'd win the game. So obviously not being mm. out there was was devastating but I knew that you know played a massive part playing in virtually every every minute of the whole season apart from that final 90 minutes so yeah that was it was bittersweet but um you know like I said it was it was fantastic for the club and uh, yeah it was a brilliant season well um steering sort of back into the Premier League but from an A league perspective uh What's the support of the Premier League like within the A-League ranks? And with that, do you now as a coach sort of encourage your players to watch the Premier League and learn from it? Or is it just almost, because from a personal thing, I mean, I'm no superstar soccer player or football player, but when I was younger, my coaches used to say that it can form bad habits if you watch the Premier League because of just, you know, it's more, the the tactics are so in-depth at that level that it's almost, uh, you know, how do I put this, just smart running and, and not smart running. And, and that's probably not what they want to teach you when you're 11. Does that sort of make sense? So is uh, it, does that I get totally talked about? I totally, totally disagree with that. I'm not sure who you, who you coach with them, but I'd love to argue that point. No, nah, Nick, Nick, that. before you before you say anything, I just have to, you have to keep in mind, Damon has never oh, actually go. gone past Sunday league level. So oh, I'm just not, saying, I'm just trying to put a, put a personal touch on it. Relax. <laughs> Yeah, like I said, I think like you know any coach telling not to watch the Premier League, then yeah, that that's that's madness. You know, you're watching the best players in the in the world. You know, if you're a midfielder and you watch the Premier League midfielders, the way that they pass the ball and uh, the way that they move, like I said, I think when you're younger, you're not really looking at the game, looking at tactically what's going on because you probably don't have any idea. You're just looking mm. at your favourite players in your team and individuals, and again, you know, m- massive. A massive part for me is is, is you know visualising and, and watching 
um, you know, watching players. Um, and I, I always encourage the boys here, I tell them, watch the top level. I ask them, did you watch the game on the weekend? You know, did you watch Man United's goals? You know, some of them do, some of them don't. And I think that's a big issue as well. Uh, you know, they don't watch football. The young kids these days, you know, they don't watch football. You know, they're on, they're on social media and wasting time. But there's so much they can learn by watching the best players. Um, mm-hmm. Like I say, the way, the way they pass and move and just little habits. And again, if they can then bring that into their game, then they're going to be better players. So, yeah, I definitely encourage people to watch the Premier League because it's it's the best league in the world. Well, when you came here uh, just on watching the Premier League, it's not like they have a big excuse because when you came here, did you realise how good the coverage of the Premier League is here in Australia? Of course, Fox Sports would have had it when you did first arrive, but now Optus seem to be doing a pretty good job as well. Does it surprise you how good the coverage is? Because when I recently went to England, I found there's actually not as much access to games as there is here. Oh, it's amazing. The Optus app, honestly, is fantastic. I, you know, I'm always watching the highlights. I'll get up, watch the 25-minute highlights. I'll watch mm. the replays, the interviews, and it's quite amazing, really, because, like you said, the, the product in England is is so big that you know they try not to to overexpose it. So you know that's why the stadiums are full. You know, every stadium yeah. is full. Every you cannot get a ticket for the Premier mm. League, no matter where it is. Um, so again, you know, by by not showing every game live, then I think that's you know that that's that's good for them. And I think again, it's an issue here in the A League. I think every game shown live on TV and you know Sydney and, and and the Mariners, for example, you got beaches in the summertime. It's beautiful weather. People are having barbecues, surfing. You know, to get them all away from that to come and sit in the stadium in in, in 35, 40 degree heat is not easy. You know, so. Yeah. Again, it's it's very accessible just to sit sit at home and watch watch the games and like I said, it's you know, the product you've seen in the Premier League without the fans in the stadium. It's just not the same product. Uh, but yeah, I mean the Optus app is uh, is brilliant. I love it. That's actually that's actually not a perspective I think I've I've ever really heard was that that showing too many games actually detracts from people buying tickets. I I can't say I've ever heard that, but because I think when I was it makes I, I was, sense. I was, it, of course, it does make sense, and, and it's pretty rational. I can't believe I didn't pick up on it. Actually, I feel like we're an idiot now. Um, but I think I think earlier in the year, I was actually lucky enough to travel to London. I was speaking to a guy who was an Arsenal supporter and he was trying to get his four-year-old son into the game, and yet he just couldn't afford, you know, a Sky Sports um, membership. He couldn't afford, you know, a, a five different memberships at a time, and you know, Arsenal. Um, we're only really getting one or two free-to-air um, games per season. I think, yeah, I, I personally, I, I agree with you, Nick, but on the other hand as well, I think for the amount of people that follow it over in Europe, it might be pretty hard to to get to every single game, especially when the tickets actually cost so much these days. Yeah, definitely. It's very expensive. What that, you know, That's why I say that people in England... You know, they do work really hard throughout the week and that's their sort of release, you know, going to the, the game on the weekend. But because they spend so much money, again, that gives them, you know, uh, in their opinion, the right to shout and scream and hammer the players if they don't win the game. Yep. So, you know, that, that brings to the atmosphere. And again, that's, that's uh, you know, that's a big difference. Um, you know, in England, it is, it is very expensive, especially the Premier League. It's, you know, there's people come from all over the world you know, every weekend to, Mm. to fly in and, and watch the Premier League game. So it's uh, you know it's, it's a special league, but like I said, with it comes a lot of a lot of things like we just spoke about. Mm, cool. All right, so uh, we do this for every guest interview and all our listeners are going to 100% know exactly what we're about to get stuck into, but we do like to get into some quirky questions to finish off our interview with guests. Uh, the first one is the one we do every single time, and that is can you name your ideal Premier League five-a-side team, and there has to be a goalkeeper and current players. Oh, current players. Yes. Oh, for me. Um, yeah. It would be unfair if you could choose players from your era because it would have been just like four invincible <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. players. <laughs> uh, look, I think, like you say, on his day, I obviously gets a lot of stick, but I think De Gea is a, a good keeper. So, you know, I go with him in goal. Um Defensively, my old teammate Harry Maguire again, solid centre back. Uh, moving, moving forward, moving forward. Kyle Walker again, top full back, 
played with him as well. I'm gonna, you see, I'm going for my friends here. Otherwise, I get upset. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Otherwise, I get upset. Um, probably going in, in the middle of the park. I'm going to definitely go with... Um, uh, I can't just thought his name now. Fernandez. I think he's top class. Obviously, as Man in, United. As in Bruno Fernandez? Bruno, yeah, Bruno yeah. Fernandez, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, well, how many is that? Three or four? How many have got? Four. So you've got De Gea, Harry Maguire, Kyle Walker, and Bruno Fernandes. Oh, okay. And uh, yeah, striker-wise, I'm, I'm going to go with Mason Greenwood at the minute. I think the kid's on fire. He's just anywhere around the box. He's lethal. I've gone for a little mix there of, of Man United and, and, and Chef United, I think. So, yeah. <laughs> <That's it>. sorry, <laughs> but... <laughs> Yeah, so again, you put me on the spot there. I didn't really have much time to think about it. <laughs> That's okay. To be honest, I think if you're choosing Kyle Walker in a five-a-side, no matter what the result is, you're going to have a pretty pretty good night out, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's been a bit naughty lately, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I've told him off. I'll have to tell him off. Yeah. Um, I, I, know I, I know I touched on this earlier, but for the sake of our listeners, is there a story that isn't maybe pushing the boundaries that you could maybe tell us um, with you've had with your teammates on a night of promotion or a big night to win or something like that? Uh, I played with a guy called Rob Kozluk at Sheffield United and any Sheffield fan will know him. He's just the funniest guy you've ever come across. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, just <laughs> every night out we went on, he was someone was trying to string him up against a wall because he'd just wind them up. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the amount of time sort of we had to save him and stop someone beating him up. Like he said, it was purely just because the way he would he, he would just take the Mickey out of people and just really really funny guy. So yeah, um, in terms of actual stories, yeah, um, yeah, I'm not sure because there's there's so many. But like I said, too many I can't say in the podcast. Yeah, I think <laughs> every every group of mates or team has that one bloke who. Has the you know just very punchable head in the way he goes about it, and I have to say, Woody's that man. I completely understand. Gets in a lot of trouble, does the Woodruff. So uh, yeah, no, I can completely completely relate. Um, next one. If you could have dinner with one again current Premier League player, who would it be? And I'm going to change it a little bit. You can't be mates with them already. Oh, current Premier League player. Um... Probably be uh, Aguero, I think. Um, I just love how, the way that he plays the game. He's just always looking to score goals. Um, you know, watching him, I do tell my striker just to watch him because, like I say, he's someone that scored so many goals in the Premier League. But the way he's just always, um, you know, always in the right areas and, and and like I said, just scored all sorts of different goals. So yeah, I'd probably uh, probably have dinner with him. I think he's Argentinian. I lot like Argentinian steak. So there's another reason. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, uh, mate, I, I, I'd be happy to join you if you're asking for a plus one or anything, but um, <laughs> I'm a huge fan of Argentinian steak. Last one, um, last one, and this sort of sort of stumps everyone because you sort of have to pick and choose and you might have to rank your friends or people here, uh, <laughs> which is always a bit of a tricky one. Nick, who's the most famous person you've got in your phone contacts? Oh. It gets everyone. Uh, that's, a, that's a tough one. Ah, prob- look, probably right now I'd say Chris Wilder because I think everybody's talking about him in football. I think, yeah, you know, when you're talking about Guardiola, Klopp, um, you know, these sort of top top coaches, they're all talking about NBL. So I think the way that Sheffield have played this year, you know, everyone's talking about him, the system and the overlapping centre backs and just the way that they play the game. So yeah, look, off the top of my head, I'd probably go with that. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. quite fortunate. I've got quite a few people that you know, like I said, that I've got in the phone book. But yeah, right now I'd probably say Chrissy Wilder. Cool. Well, with those quirky questions, worth noting. You know, we did put you on the spot a little bit, but it's not like a uh, particular Optus uh, podcast that you did feature on a couple of months back, where <laughs> they gave you half an hour preview. Well, they 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 admitted on air that they gave you half an hour to pick your England team. I, I was like. Nah, you can't be having that. Like, you need to put him nah, right on. That's place. Michael Bridges. Michael Bridges, yeah. every time I've done a podcast with him, top guy, he's always doing his research and stuff. 
remember <laughs> that specific time I was even listening to him. But <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Thank you so much for coming on. We do have one last question. It's an, hopefully an easy one for you. What's the next step in your career? Oh, look, for me, I've just finished the UEFA Pro Licence, which is you know, the, the, the highest ranking um, coaching badge that you can get in world football. So for me, it's re- I'm, you know, I'm really proud that I've you know, had that journey and gone down that path. It's taken me eight years. Um, so, yeah, look, you know, I, I've got ambition to, to, to be a head coach and, and coach at the highest level. Um, so, yeah, look, you know, for now, I'm, I'm really happy coaching the under-23 boys here. I think there's some very, very good young players in this country. Um, you know that right now is obviously going to be hard for them to to, to move on with what's going on. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's my ambition. Yeah, you know, to, to to reach the top as a coach, the same as I did as a player. And no doubt there'll be some ups and downs and, and doubters, but I think mean, you know I know I know where I want to be and I work as hard as I can to get there. So that's uh, yeah, that's all I can probably give you for now. Mm, for sure, and cool. we're we'll be keeping on your heels no matter what, Nick. You can you can uh, you can check that one in because we like to stay uh, in touch with the people that we bring on the podcast because we want to see them succeed just like they want to see us succeed as well. And with that, probably going to bring the interview to a close. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Nick Montgomery, of course, everyone, uh, Sheffield United legend. I'm not going to screw it up that time. <laughs> um, and it's been <laughs> an absolute pleasure. The blaze. <laughs> absolute pleasure. And hopefully we can get you back on the pod uh, sometime in the near future as well. I appreciate the kind, word, boy, kind words, boys. And uh, yeah, it's been, it's been my pleasure. So take care and uh, hopefully keep in touch. Perfect. Ooh, Cheers, mate. Perfect. Thank you. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Oofed. What an interview that was. But, Damo, just before we get sucked into actually looking at the interview itself, what the hell are you thinking, mate? Who, the, What coach in their right mind says to youth players, don't watch the Premier League or the best players in the world? Are you lost? Nah, I'm... Let me give it a little bit of context. Probably, <laughs> I probably didn't get the chance to explain it as best as I wanted no, to. No, you didn't, and could, you, you bottled it. You made us look like wait, idiots. Wait, go, go easy here, because the person that told me this might actually be listening. So just, you know, go a little bit easy here. But to be fair, I, basically what it was saying, I think the person that told me was essentially just saying, you know, that the high press, as maybe five, six years ago, wasn't what it is today. And so players would have a heap of time on the ball. Uh, which, to be fair, I played a lot more soccer slash football than you uh, at club level throughout my junior years. And I can tell you now, when you see, you know, maybe in 2015, Michael Carrick sitting in front of the centre-backs, picking passes left, right and centre with no pressure on him, that's not how it works in, in the Sunday league at Manningham. It's absolutely hectic you just don't get more than three seconds on the ball. And that's basically what he was trying to say, that the time you have at a Premier League stadium because they're bigger, the players are more tactically aware that you can't push too far up, all that sort of stuff, that it can create bad habits for midfielders that they think they have more time on the ball than they're going to. That's all I'm saying. But in hindsight, maybe should have said that a little bit easier or maybe not should have not said it at all. But that's my explanation. Mate, can I just say, any kid that was growing up in our era, so we were born 97, growing up through the early 2000s late to late 2000s, if you're not going and watching Ronaldinho best bits on YouTube or Cristiano <laughs> Ronaldo uh, long-range goals or free kicks on YouTube, mate, just, just check yourself out. Honestly, just check yourself out because... That's just ridiculous if you're not watching those sort of highlights. And if, if your coach is listening to this, mate, get a grip. Get a grip. Seriously, every kid should want to be Ronaldinho or Ronaldo. Come on. To be fair, though, like what if you've got like the bloke who has two left feet and he's watching those clips and then tries it on game day when you, when you could win a title? That's all I'm saying. Like Sometimes you've got to understand your limits. Play the simple game. I understand, but... That's all I'm saying. For example, you look at Neymar. Not every single crossover he does comes off. Yeah, all right. All right. I get what you're saying, and that's just related to any dare game to, of you got to dare to dream, ever. mate. Dare to dream. Come on. All right. <laughs> all right. All right. I'm done. Can we please move on? It was a great interview with Nick. Very appreciative for him to come on, mm. especially, as I said, at the start, top of the pod that the A-League is, of course, starting this weekend from when the pod's released. So, mm. uh, you know, 
it's nice of him to sacrifice some time. Have a chat with us. Woodrow, before we uh, wrap it up for the episode, I just wanted to touch on one quick thing. I've, I've realized there's a bit of a community in the in the Australian podcasting, Australian football podcasting uh, Twitter sphere. Completely. Uh, you know, I think you and me have had, have had a have had a quick look. I remember before we started this pod, we thought we wouldn't have a lot of competition, but we do. But I feel like it's healthy competition. They're sort of everyone's bouncing off each other. Yeah, for sure. And it, but it's safe to say we probably haven't quite broken into the banter yet, but we'll get there. We're like the new kids. Uh, new kid at school sort of thing, breaking into like a year level at year 10. So like everybody already knows each other, but yeah. we'll get there. It's uh, it's it's good fun. So anyone from those uh, podcasts or listen to other podcasts, listening to us now, uh, try to keep us out, keep an eye out for us on the socials because we uh, we do enjoy getting involved in some, as the, as the humans say, banter. So Shut, Woodruff, shut up. <laughs> well, if they mate, do want to get involved on the socials. You are a dead set loser. How the hell have I come on? How the hell have I run a podcast with you for the best part of a year and a bit now? What the fuck am I thinking? Speaking of, we're two days off our one year anniversary. It's probably been the most painful year of my life. Sitting here, looking, listening to the shit that comes out of your mouth. Oh my, who do you think you are, mate? Next thing you're going to be doing call, Star Wars reenactments or something. Ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, Woodrow. If they want to hit us up on the socials, where can they fucking find us? <laughs> you can find us on Insta at Premier League Nightclub. And Damon, where can everyone find us on the Twitter? They can find us at the Twitter sphere at PL Nightclub. Keep an eye out. There's really good stuff coming on the Twitter. And of course, search us on Facebook. We'll be there. Make sure you subscribe or follow wherever you listen to your podcast. Leave a review if you can. They do wonders for us. Uh, so, yeah. Other than that, I think I'm good to go, Woodrow. Yep, uh, me too, mate. I'm, I'm pretty much wrapped up. This is probably our, worth noting, either our second last or our third last episode for the season. So Yeah, if things go to plan, it's third last. But we can guarantee, I'm guaranteeing this right now, The every single episode for the rest of the season, whether it be one, two, or three, we'll have a special guest. Oofed. Boom. Bang. Bang. Mic drop. And with that, we're out. Thank you, everyone, for booking the Premier League Nightclub. We'll catch you next week or whenever the hell we decide to put out another podcast. See you guys.